if I am motivated for something, I will go and get it. And so being able to say all around the world, including Antarctica, that was a big thing for me. So that's how that happened. Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. We are a learning community for people at a career crossroads, ready to rejoin their soul and their role. We have long-form conversations about self-awareness, relationships, tapping into your inner genius, and building sustainable habits. We are led by our questions. We're curious. We're storytellers. And the more we learn, the better we get. And there are people all around us who have done the work. We think they have a lot to say about how we can discern and activate our own purpose. I'm Shelley Prevost. I'm an educational psychologist and the founder of Big Self. And I'm Chad Prevost. I'm a media specialist. I write, research, and produce content across industries. To learn more about how to join the tribe, go to ShellyPrevost.com slash BigSelfSociety. Let's get started. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, it is. Uh, we are rolling. So, do you want to? Yeah. Well, I. Um, hi, Angela. We're so excited to have you here. I wanted to. We have so much to talk to you about, and Chad and I both felt that you personified what we think of when we think of big self, which is a wholehearted high achiever, somebody who's working to make an impact on the world. And I wanted to start this conversation a little bit differently than we've started other conversations. Yeah. I want to go back a little bit and and ask you to talk about your upbringing. Talk about uh, a little bit about, give us some context for how you were raised and how maybe the this, what I call a holding environment that you were brought up in that helped create this um this this way that you think about the world and and how you you seem to really take risks and lean into things and uh, play big and I'm so I'm curious about what how did you get to the point where you're doesn't seem like you're afraid to try to try so many new cool things. Well, I'm glad it doesn't seem that way on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my parents really gave my brother and me probably as close to an ideal childhood as you could imagine, especially in today's world. My mother is a retired teacher and so very much brought up in an atmosphere of not only lifelong learning, but also Mm. learning in every possible opportunity and seeing opportunities for creativity. She's also an artist and a gardener. She and I are both master gardeners together. So from her, I think it was, you know, seeing that it was possible to continue to learn and even get to some degree of mastery with things if you really had a passion for it. Okay. And then my father uh, is retired from the Navy. And so our family would travel every summer for two weeks for him to go to a naval base around the country after he was in reserves and do his two weeks of active duty training. So we always had these interesting trips that weren't straight up vacation, although there were elements of that. But I also got to see how he worked while he traveled. You know, he was Mm. working at TVA full time when he was in the Naval Reserve. And he would spend these two weeks of vacation time, his off time, working and learning and growing. And and that was part of our, our trip. And, you know, he joined the Navy because of the the famous slogan, join the Navy, see the world. So I also got to hear all these wonderful adventures that he had. So that's in your blood a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. And so between those two approaches that my parents brought to our life, I I don't know, but I really understood that things were different for other people. I, I kind of thought that everybody was learning and exploring and doing all of these wonderful, creative things. Uh, and it wasn't really until I was an adult that I realized that that was a very special and fairly unique environment to grow up in. Mm-hmm. It was almost um, became the norm, it sounds like, in your family culture oh, absolutely. to try new things. Yes, definitely. And my brother has that same passion for trying new things. And when he finds something he likes, he'll dig in and learn about it and, and become a, a certain degree of an expert about it, even as a hobby. And that's we've all done that. Well, I see how some of these things then 
are um, play into to mm-hmm. who you do, who you are, and what you do. You do a lot of things, uh, but you know, one of the I think fascinating things that a lot of people would like to hear about, um, at least to start us off, is um, your the the whole traveling piece of things. You guys actually initiated WeMarriedAdventure.com. If anybody wants to go there, it, it looks like it's a cool site. But you, you started it in 2017. Uh, and, and you, he, he, I didn't realize that you guys have been around the world, um, many times at, at this point. Now you, you write for Lonely Planet. Tell us a little bit about, um, how it got started and, uh, and why do you guys like to travel so much? Well, my husband, Mike is definitely an explorer and an adventurer mm-hmm. in his the very core of his soul. He was traveling with his family when he was younger His father was an engineer and was stationed all over the world for various projects. And the longest of those projects was in Saudi Arabia. So that's where Mike spent a couple of years in middle school living in Saudi Arabia and attending an international school and meeting all these other people who were his age, but from all over the world. And his travel lust has really, I think, snowballed from there. So when Mm -hmm. we got married, we started traveling and, you know, we did a lot of domestic trips first. We did an amazing cross-country road trip with a caravan with the boys where we spent three weeks in the summer visiting all these national parks. And we've done several trips like that with them. And then when Mike and I had been married for five years, uh, he took me to Morocco for our anniversary. And it was not only my first time outside of North America and the Caribbean, but we started in Spain and and went to Gibraltar and then took the ferry across to Tangier. And my mind was as blown wide open as I think you could possibly Mm. imagine with that travel. And I was hooked. So we've still continued to do domestic trips. As a matter of fact, I just got back recently from Alaska, which was my 50th state, which was very exciting. But we That's have, awesome. Yeah, it Congrats. was wonderful. Yeah. And I love national parks. And, you know, so we'll continue to do that. I can't not see my parks. But the international <laughs> travel, when we started doing that, we, we went to some of the typical places that people went, but we were much more interested in going to places that were a little more off the beaten path. And so when we did that, we had a lot of friends who would ask us about where we stayed and what we saw and where we ate and what we did. So we started We Married Adventure in part as a way to share that information with friends and family who were wanting to explore some of those same places. And also so we wouldn't forget where we'd been, what we'd done and what we'd eaten. And because, you know, after a while, when you see a lot of the world, it really does start to feel like one place, which is wonderful Mm -hmm. because you're comfortable and you realize that all people are the same, no matter where they are, you know, they want safety for their families, food and shelter. They want to be able to laugh and smile and love. But all of those details do kind of blur together. So that's why we started that. And then an editor from Lonely Planet saw our writing after we did our one-year trip around the world and asked me to start writing a couple of pieces. And it's snowballed from there. It's ended up being you know, a, pretty much a once-a-week assignment from them about all kinds of things around the globe. And that's been a really lovely development. Well, I would say so. I mean, do, do you, um, well, Shelly, you, you're pointing that you want to ask the well, next question. I, I, I think this is really important for us to uh, talk about this because I, so many people have this desire to travel more. Um, I mean, the big, yeah, hairy, audacious goal would be to travel around the world. You know, you and Chen and I have talked about that. We've dreamt about that. And I think so many people get stuck right at um, the fear, the logistical kind of nightmare of coordinating all that. So I wanted, um, two things. I wanted to ask you to unpack logistically, like, how did you do that? Cause I think people really want to understand how do you make that happen? Even if it's not a year to take a few weeks or to visit national parks in the con- around our country, like what, how do you actually do that and work remotely that way? And then I'm also really curious about, the psychological kind of unpacking you all had to do um, to confront those fears, whatever they might be, uh, fears of, uh, do I have to put my career on hold? Is this, you know, this is a good decision for the family? 
Um, so all of those kind of things that you have to psychologically wrestle with, I'm curious how you came to those and then, you know, o- overcame them also. With regard to the family piece, Mike and I have always agreed that travel is the single best educator for our boys that exists in the world. Yeah. You can show some somebody something in a book. You can have them write an essay, do some research, do an experiment. But until they see the world firsthand, and as I was saying a moment ago, understand that all people are fundamentally the same, no matter where they are on the planet, then I feel like they don't fully understand that that light bulb moment of, oh, so this is why I've learned all of this. This is how this looks out and about. And so in terms of the boys, we have always brought them with us, invited them along and included them in our travel plans whenever we could. And they are very much travelers themselves. Our oldest son is in the army. And so he's doing his own adventure there, being mm-hmm. stationed in different places. Our youngest son studied abroad in South Korea for part of his senior year of high school and has plans for a backpacking trip in Europe at the earliest possible time. So they are exploring things in their own way. And as far as the planning goes, for the trip around the world, first of all, we're not rich. So we had to spend save money. We, we changed our spending habits and saved for five years to be able to afford that, in part because Mike took a one-year sabbatical from his job, which he's very fortunate to have the opportunity to do. I, on the other hand, for two or three of my five jobs, am able to (laughs) work pretty much anywhere on the planet with internet access. And so I did work on that trip for the year around the world. And I've been traveling and working for several years now. So That was not really a big transition for me. Obviously, the time change when you're talking with clients and and meeting deadlines is a big adjustment. But if that's the only adjustment you have, that's not bad. Mm -hmm. And Mike is- It's doable. Oh, it's absolutely doable. Yeah. For my job. And I realize it isn't for everyone's. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike is the planner. So he spent a year and a half before we took that trip around the world researching things. And it didn't start off as a one-year trip. It started off as we're going to visit this handful of countries and it's going to be several weeks. And we were excited about that. But Mr. Mike Ballard doesn't really stop there. So when he researched- <laughs> it's a few weeks, one out of here. No, well, it, and it didn't, it, it, it was a very slow snowball. It kind of evolved. Yes. He would yeah. do this research and he also is very much a lifelong learning sponge. So mm. as he would research where we were going, obviously he couldn't help but be curious about the things that were around it. And so for a year and a half, pretty much every night he would come to me and say, oh my gosh, I have to show you this. It is just three hours from this place where we're going to be, or (laughs) it is just a $45 flight to get to this or a train yard or an overnight bus. Doesn't that sound exciting? Which by the way, it is not. (laughs) (laughs) Note to self, avoid the overnight buses. (laughs) Well, and he kept adding things. And so By the time we were about to leave for the trip, we were obviously very excited about this and it had expanded to six continents and we were maybe two months out, I think, from leaving for the trip. And so I was preparing the people in my life, my work life primarily saying, now remember, I'm going to be working remotely, so I'm not available for face-to-face meetings, but, you know, for the next year, I'm just as available to you as I always have been, just in a different way. And they would say, oh, where are you going? And I would say, well, we're going all around the world. Every continent? Well, every continent except Antarctica. And I am a completist. So having to say everything but this one thing (laughs) drove me bananas. So I finally came home a couple of months out and I said, look, if I picked up a new client and I could pay for us to go to Antarctica, do we have time to work that in the trip? And he said, oh, yeah, absolutely. We can work in anything. It's very fluid. So three days later, I came came home and I said, I have a new client, book Antarctica. 
So that's kind of how it works with us. He does it piece by piece. And if I am motivated for something, I will go and get it. And so being able to say all around the world, including Antarctica, that was a big thing for me. So that's how that happened. (laughs) Was it a a new client for your uh, graphic design business? This was for my marketing consulting business. And I do do both. I do marketing consulting and graphic design, both of which are highly portable jobs. Um, So that was a nice thing to be able to pick it up right before we left and then not miss a beat with this brand new client. Well, one thing that um, I mean, you've kind of alluded to it that you've, you've, you've noticed that people are the same wherever you go around the world. I was wondering what does traveling the world teach you? Also, you know, I think sometimes too, um, in the times that I've um, done a little traveling, you, you, after a while, yeah, it can be a blur or you kind of, you, you start to just feel like, well, I'm just kind of tourist hopping. I'm not like, and it almost leads to feeling um, homesick because you just want some steadiness. Like how, so what is, I would say, what does um, traveling the world teach you and also, just like, how do you create um, meaning, uh, uh, you know, out of it? I think the biggest thing I learned from the trip was that I need so very little to be happy, to be content, to feel fulfilled. We traveled for that year with only carry-on luggage, so I had one backpack and one under seat bag that had my camera gear and computer gear and work type stuff. And first of all, I'm really good at sink laundry now, just for the record. (laughs) But also when I came home, we'd already kind of started getting rid of things, material things in our lives. Because when Mike retires from his job in a few years, we had decided quite a while ago that we would like to move someplace else, another country probably. And so part of this trip was doing the research to see, uh, it was kind of like a buffet. Mm. We go to the buffet and we, we get a little taste of every single thing. So it, Chad, as you were saying, you know, you felt like you were tourist hopping. I think because we had a purpose for it, we very rarely felt that way because we were trying to Yes, check off the tourist things. You know, if you're in Paris, you're not going to miss the Eiffel Tower. It's right there. But as soon as you check off those things, our goal is always to get out of the tourist part of the city or even better, get out of the big city and see what it's like for people who live in a country. Once the tourism novelty wears off, what's it like to shop for groceries there or get around town or socialize with your neighbors? And so because we had that purpose, I don't think we really felt the same kind of tourist approach that other people Mm -hmm. might very likely feel. And, you know, with, with just one backpack on your back, when we got home and knowing that we were going to move and we didn't want to pay to ship unnecessary things in a very expensive shipping container at some point in the future, we got rid of so much stuff. And we are still getting rid of it because if you can live out of a backpack for a year, then Mm. do you really need a closet full of things? Can you just pare it down to the things that you truly love? And so it was sort of a different approach to kind of the Marie Kondo sparking joy. (laughs) You know, for me, it's, it's, um, does this spark my willingness to pay to ship it someplace else? That's a more utility, easy way to define (laughs) joy. So it was, um, we did have moments, you know, I I absolutely will not pretend that it was always easy. And I would say probably for the first month or two, it was especially challenging for me because I am a person of routine and it took me a while to figure out that, duh, you can have your routine while you're traveling too, but I'm I'm a place oriented person. So, you know, if I wasn't taking my nightly bath in my bathtub or practicing yoga in my space, then somehow I had this mental block that that was not the same. It wasn't as good. And when I realized that it doesn't matter which tub I'm in or where I put my mat or any of those things, that I can still do those every day. I think having that routine for a year when 
you're in a different place every couple of days was very grounding. And when I returned home, I, I think I was truly grateful for that routine in helping me maintain my sense of self when every single thing around me was changing daily. Mm. Um, I love this. I want to go back to this fear question a little bit. Um, and I'm not sure that I, I hear it as you're talking about uh, the decision that you and Mike made to travel extensively. Um, but I know a lot of people have that fear. Did you experience it at all? Did you all really think like, this is scary. What are we doing? In terms of safety? Uh, just in terms of kind of think, pausing your life a yeah, little bit. That's what you mean. Right. Just yeah, like the, taking that leap of faith. Yeah. Like the actual decision to start booking the, the trips, you know, like I think that, that, that level of action, um, and maybe it, it wasn't overcoming fear at all. Maybe it was just like, this is what we feel called to do. This is what we need to do. Well, we'd had a few experiences prior to that, that I think perhaps allowed us to experience smaller fears one at a time. So that by the time we made it to the trip around the world, those fears had already been addressed. Okay. I mentioned the trip that we took to Spain and Gibraltar and Morocco. Mm -hmm. I was going with Mike and he was an experienced international traveler. And I still very vividly remember having a meltdown about a week before we left for the trip because I was terrified. I was terrified to get on a plane and go to Madrid. And in hindsight, that seems absolutely absurd. But for me at the time, it was very real. And as soon as we landed, as soon as we got out of the airport and were walking on a sidewalk off the train to go to our hotel in Madrid, that fear completely went away. And I realized that it was the fear of unknown. And once you've done something, it's no longer unknown. And so that piece of it had already been addressed with that first international trip for me. And Mike and I talked about it, you know, before he moved to Saudi Arabia, he was this little middle school guy from middle Tennessee. And he was going to the Middle East to go to school with these people from Greece and France and all of these mm -hmm. magical places that he'd never seen before. And he was terrified. And he's, he's talked a lot to me and to our boys about how that was life-changing for him. And I think before that trip to Spain and Morocco and Gibraltar, maybe I hadn't had anything that was life-changing in a while. And so that was exactly what I needed. And in terms of booking trips, we love travel deals. We talk about that a lot on We Married Adventure. And our goal is always to find the cheapest possible airfare to any place. And it's like a game for us now. And in terms of pulling the trigger on buying tickets and things, as you mentioned, Shelley, I remember being in the car with the boys, we were headed to Florida several years ago. We were meeting my parents for Christmas at Disney World. That's what they had decided to treat everyone to, which was incredibly generous on their part. And so we're in the car on this trip and we laugh about how when we're on a trip, we're always planning the next trip, like an addict almost. And so we're in the car and this email pops up and it says, oh, we have these error fares. Now, an error fare is when an airline has posted something wrong on their website, a price that is way cheaper than it's supposed to be. And if you catch that fare before they correct it, then more often than not, they have to honor that price. So we're looking at this. So there's like a website that alerts you to that? Oh, there are. I monitor about 40 different websites a week looking for those deals. I told okay. you, addiction, it's yeah. a hobby. Um, but this this one in particular um, is called secretflying.com. And it is my favorite by far. And <laughs> so they sent out this email and they're like, okay, um, here are prices for these airfare tickets. And it was all of these very exotic places. We could go to Mumbai. We could go to the Seychelles. We could go to uh, Cairo, I think was the third one. 
And so I'm talking to Mike and the boys. Well, they just think I'm playing a travel game, you know, passing the time on this ride to Florida in the car. Which would you rather see? And so Mike says, well, you know, we're scuba divers, so the Seychelles, obviously. So I look at that and I said, no, the dates don't work. Well, he still thinks I'm just kind of throwing roadblocks into this car game. And finally, they said, you know, well, we, we love Indian food. We have a number of friends from India. Wouldn't it be really cool to experience all that firsthand? And so I, as I previously mentioned earlier, am a, a doer and a completist. So I log on the site. I book the tickets and I said, done. We're going to India for fall break. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and these tickets, guys, I'm telling you, $329 round trip to Mumbai from New York and when we got to the airport, Zach, as I said, is in the army, but at the time he was in high school and he was in ROTC. Well, as I was registering for the tickets, I was like, okay, what title do you want? Would you like to be the honorable? Would you like to be, you know, sir or Lord? And Zach says, well, just put captain. I'm a captain in ROTC. So I said, sure. So we show up at the airport and the ticket agent for Etihad Airways says, oh, Captain Ballard thank you for your service. And he laughs very nervously. And he says, I'm just an ROTC, but I have enlisted to join the army when I graduate. And he says, Oh, I see. Well, since you're a minor, we won't be able to upgrade you to first class. So we'll have to do that for your parents instead. So they upgraded us to first class, which on Etihad is the lie flat seat with China oh, and the yeah. service and all of this. So we get on the plane and we'd been on the flight for a couple of hours. We'd had this absolutely incredible dinner and I'd had a glass of champagne and Mike had had a glass of scotch and we'd really been enjoying all of the service. They give you pajamas and toiletries and all of this. I mean, all of the airlines in the Middle East really know how to do first class. So we'd been enjoying this and it was a few hours in and Mike says, okay, I'm going to go back to economy and check on the boys and see how they're doing. So he comes back up and he says, they look miserable. <laughs> and I said, well, I hate to hear that. What's happening? And he says, well, you know, they're, they're in the two middle seats of a four person wide center row. And the man is asleep next to Ben and he's kind of sprawled all over Ben's seat in his sleep. And you know, it's just, it's very crowded and very uncomfortable. He says, I, I think I'm going to trade out with them and, and let one of them come up here. And I said, no, sir, you are not. <laughs> and he said, why not? And I said, I had to wait 40 years to fly first class. They are much more bendy than we are. They can stay okay. in economy. It will not kill them. Give them something to aspire for. <laughs> Give them something to be resilient nice. from. Exactly. So, yes. Yeah, so in terms of pulling the trigger on flights, we have no hesitation on that. And most of the trips that we plan that are not these big long-term long trips are the result of finding an amazing fare and it's going to someplace we haven't visited before, especially if it's off the beaten path and just saying, can you? Yeah, let's go. Wow. Well, what a, what a shift in your perspective um, ha happened then, especially after that first uh, apprehension that you, you felt uh, going to uh, Madrid that time. Uh, I, I mean, on your, on your blog site, you'll, you'll have like a leg, you'll call them legs, leg number 15 or whatever. And you go to like five or six places. That is the trip around the world. When we came back, We'd posted from every single country we visited and some countries where we spent a little more time or had the opportunity to experience more things, we would do multiple posts. But after it was over, it was overwhelming for us to even think back on all the places we'd been. So Mike grouped them together in the legs that he used when he was planning the trip largely to help people who were hoping to plan something similar for themselves see how he grouped it regionally because that's typically the best way to take advantage of travel deals as well because once mm -hmm. you get to a continent you have myriad ways of getting around you can rent a car you can take a bus a train a little inter-country flight um, all kinds of things that you can do for ridiculously little money and so grouping it together in those legs was a way for us to wrap our heads around this overwhelming, incredible experience and also help people who were trying to plan a trip of their own. 
So the, you know, the whole concept for big self is, is, is pursuing your bigger ideas, your bigger dreams for your life, um, and doing that in sustainable ways. And I, you know, uh, it's come up in our Facebook group, Angela, that you're in with us as well, this concept of playing big and traveling. And, um, and you're, you're mentioning it a little bit already, but I'm curious what you would say to someone who is, is sensing that playing bigger in their life is, is more experiences and more adventures and more, um, courage to do travel, to, to, uh, not let the provincial kind of status quo, way of living, keep them small and stuck. Um, but maybe they can't quite wrap their head around how, you know, the actual leap to do that. So what would you say to somebody, um, who, who wants to do what you, you have done and are doing in order to pursue their big self, um, and not be scared? Well, I think the first thing you have to understand and acknowledge is that it will be scary and not to allow the experiencing of fear as an emotion deter you from pursuing it anyway. I think that, you know, a lot of things that I've read from you, Shelley, include some aspect of the thought that fear keeps us healthy. You know, fear is is good in that it mm-hmm. keeps us safe. It is, you know, part of how we are hardwired as humans to protect ourselves. It's adaptive, yeah. Exactly. It's a, it's a it's a really necessary experience as being human because it keeps us safe and alive and adaptive. And with those thoughts in mind, I think any time now that I am feeling in any way trepidatious about pursuing something, I tend to take that as a gut check that I need to not throw caution to the wind, but to instead consider things thoughtfully and and think through the potential outcomes, some of which could be negative, could be bad, some of which could be incredible beyond my wildest dreams. And so the fear is simply what I use to keep things reined in enough that if, if it does go wrong, if it doesn't turn out the way that I hope it does, then I have some other things to fall back on. And so for me, that's something I've been working to build now for probably four or five years. I spent the first 20 plus years of my career working in full-time jobs. It was important for me to have a salary and benefits and all of those elements of stability. And in that time, I was working to gain knowledge and professional expertise and contacts for my network that helped me with the next phase, the long goal of putting together multiple part-time jobs or freelance jobs that still ultimately provided me with the income that my family needed and those other elements of stability, but also gave me enough flexibility that if something great came up, like a cheap airline ticket or a new freelance gig or the opportunity to try something or learn something, that I could include that. And it didn't mean that I only had one job and that I had to choose between that one giant thing and this incredible opportunity. Mm. I love that. Yeah. This, this, so one of the things you're making me think of Rachel Hollis says, hope is not a strategy. So you all have, you approach your, your work and this trip, all these trips with real intention and planning. Oh yeah. I think sometimes people let the fear keep them from planning and really figuring out like, what is the strategy here? How do we make this happen? Like, let me get very conscious and intentional about what I want in my life. And if this is it, then I'm going to figure out a way to make it happen. Mm -hmm. We stop right with the hope. We hope, we wish, we want, and we don't ever follow through with how do we, how are we going to actually make this happen? And so uh, that's the big thing I'm hearing you say is how you really do 
you got clear on what you guys wanted to do, but then you figured out how to make it happen. And it took years to do that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And we have a lot of people who hear that we have traveled, who hear that we're travel writers, you know, all of the things associated with, with travel. And they will say, oh, I would love to do that. I, mm-hmm. I would really wish that that was my life. And what I've realized is that they say that with their words, but then their actions don't match. That's right. For us, we decided that travel was a priority for us as a couple, for us as a family. And so we worked for years making sacrifices to be able to save the money because that was our priority. And so when I see people say, oh, I would love to travel, I would love to, you know, have a trip around the world, but then I see them spending money on unnecessary things and devoting. They don't want it more than other things. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there's a, um, a blogger who, who does a lot of investment work and her name is is slipping my mind right now. And I, I hate that. I would love to be able to share her name, but she has a saying that absolutely sticks with me. She says, um, you can afford anything, but you can't afford everything. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it that way, you know, if your priority was to have a Lamborghini, then you could sacrifice everything. And even on an average American salary over a period of time, you could make that happen. But not if you were also trying to buy a giant house and a Rolex and a this and that at the same time. So it's essentially, in her case, about putting your money where your mouth is. But for me, it's putting everything where your intention is. Yeah. And, mm. and priorities are. Yeah. Yes. I've read Which, a book. Oh, I'm sorry, Ted. No, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I read a book a number of years ago that I think is a perennial favorite on the lists of books like this. Um, it's called Creative Visualization by an author named Shakti Gawain. Mm, I know that. Yeah. It's a great. marvelous book. And I tried to read it maybe eight or 10 years ago. And one of the first things that she has you do is to hold in your mind an image of you doing whatever it is that you wish more than anything in the world to do. And at the time I was in a very happy marriage. I was very happy with my career. Everything was going great for our family. I felt like I was maybe at the point in my career where I was ready for a career change, but I had no idea what I wanted it to be. So I I had kind of had to stop reading when I first started because I didn't have a picture to put in my mind. And then a few years ago, when we started saving for this trip and planning for this trip, I had a vision that I could put in my mind and it was Mm. very clear to me. And so I was able to read through the whole book and practice all of these exercises that she gives you for visualizing what you want and essentially putting on a pair of blinders on either side of that vision. Because I also have a terrible time saying no to people. If it's something I can do to help somebody, oh my gosh, I'm terrible at it. But when I put those blinders on, every single opportunity that came my way, I suddenly had the confidence and the power to say, thank you for thinking of me. I can't help you right now, but let me connect you with this other person who I think can. Yeah, And that was my new way of saying no to anything Mm -hmm. that fell outside those blinders. And in the process, I ended up having more people coming to me and asking for help. And I realized it's not about you, Angela. Stop making it about you. They just need help. It doesn't have to be from you. And so being able to connect people with resources that I had felt great for me because I was offering them a solution it gave all these other people in my world opportunities to step up and help other people with their wonderful skills and talents. The people who asked for help in the first place had their problem solved. They had their need met. And I didn't have to add anything to my plate that wasn't laser focused on my goal. Mm-hmm. Which I find mm-hmm. it's very interesting that you say this, Angela, because, you know, on, just let, let's just take your, your LinkedIn profile. You're a travel writer, photographer, designer, radio personality, and professor, all of which are current. 
Yes, I <laughs> and are. yet some, somehow while you dance amongst all these things, um, you, you were able to, you're not a grasshopper. You're able to be like an ant and, you know, and really plan. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fascinating. Well, one of, of, amongst all these things I'm interested in, um, you're also a lifelong learner. You, you know, started with a BA in communications, uh, then you got an MS in public relations. And then later on, I didn't know about this. You had a, you got an EDD in learning and leadership. Well, and actually, I, I am ABD yeah. on that at this point. So don't give me full credit for having finished that process. <laughs> oh, okay. that's, that's, okay. oh, that's the hard part. <laughs> all, all but that dissertation? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't well, know how many I've written. I just haven't finished the right one. Yes. Oh, I get that. Oh, I see. Well, your research (laughs) apparently focused on creativity, and you just mentioned a a great book, Creativity and Learning Theories. I'm curious, what did you learn about learning? And also, is there um, a a theory of creativity that has informed your thinking? I am very much an experiential learner. And as I mentioned earlier about our boys with travel and how that was the best teacher they've ever encountered. I think for me, it's an understanding that not everybody approaches creativity or learning or exploration in the same way. And that the process, much like travel, the journey is as important as the destination. The process of being creative and of learning new things, I think, teaches you as much as the knowledge that you acquire. And Mm. something that I really fell in love with. I've always loved to cook. And on our travels, Mike so very sweetly always finds incredible people to teach me new things. I know that it's motivated for him by getting to eat those foods when he gets home. I'm not (laughs) foolish about that. (laughs) You see behind his motivation. Absolutely. But I love learning new ways of doing things. And so going to these cooking classes and learning from these chefs and and people in their homes all over the world, that was a process that I enjoyed. Mike learns very differently than I do, although in a somewhat experiential way. So watching other people learn and studying how people learn and how they, they use that knowledge to be creative and to put these new things into the world as a result, that was really a fascinating part of that whole doctoral learning process for Mm. me. And I do love to teach. You know, I, I get that from my mother. Mike is a lifelong educator. He has worked in public schools for his entire career. And so as we're looking ahead at the things that we want to do after he retires, we've realized that learning and teaching are a big part of that. And they will always be a big part of our lives in order for us to feel fulfilled. So, you know, he's pursuing things like his dive master instruction and certification so that he can teach people how to scuba dive. And I have been learning all of these cooking techniques and recipes and have used that to dive into the history of food and how cuisine shapes culture and creates community. So I am in the process of writing a cookbook that's based on several countries we visited on our trip. And, you know, that sort of creativity, the visualization process that we talked about earlier, in keeping laser focused on that, I was sharing that with a friend of mine who is the uh, assistant dean of the honors college at the university where I teach. And he says, well, why don't you teach a class for the honors students about food? And so in the fall, I'm going to be teaching this class on the culinary history of humanity. And so, you know, all of that is kind of part of our learning process, our creative process, but we've, we've figured out how to keep it within those blinders of the focus on our future, even as we continue to learn and grow in ways that are far wider than that. Mm. I love that you don't just speak your values, you don't just profess your values, you really live your values. We try. That just is really striking me. Like create, I mean, it just oozes out of who you are, like creativity and learning and 
experiences, like that's, that's how you live your life. It's not just what you say you believe in. I think that was part of that creative visualization process, you know, Mm. going through Shakti Gawain's book and figuring out, yes, this is what I want to do. This is what I could see myself doing. I teach a different course at the university called professional competence. And it's for students of all majors who they think they know what they want to do with their lives. Some of them do, some of them don't. And they are within a semester or two of graduating and trying to figure out how to take all the theoretical knowledge they've acquired in college and apply it practically to getting a job in their chosen profession. And part of what we do on one of the first class meetings is the classic exercise of, you know, if if you had a, a pleasant income, a reasonable income that would meet the needs for yourself and your family, and you didn't have to worry about money in that regard, what can you see yourself doing all day, every day? Mm-hmm. And some people start off with, you know, very pie in the sky things. Oh, well, I want to drink wine in Italy or sit on a beach all day. (laughs) But then when you ask questions and say, okay, could you see yourself doing that 50 weeks out of the year, Mm -hmm. you know, taking those two weeks else for vacation, could you do that all day, every day for 50 weeks? And then most people realize that no, that would get old. And so then they start coming up with some things based on their skills and their talents and the things that bring them pleasure. And they sometimes realize that what they've majored in in college is also not what they want to do all day, every day. Mm-hmm. So then we, we start talking about, okay, well, how can you take this knowledge that you've acquired though and turn it into something that could bring you joy every day? Realizing that you're probably not going to walk off the stage at graduation and walk into a job doing that. In fact, the job may not exist yet. Or if you're me, it could be five different jobs that give you the variety and you know, help you put together the things that you enjoy that, again, don't exist in a single job. And then how do we build you a roadmap so that in five years, 10 years, 20 years, You are actually doing what you're picturing yourself wanting to do all day, every day. So I think taking the time to think about that goal and then back it out into a plan, it's it's really no different than what we do when we reverse engineering that. Absolutely. Yeah. I wish I had taken that course when I was in undergrad. We all need that course. It's a fun course. I love to talk with these students and I also help them build a personal brand for themselves as professionals. And figure out how to use that to stand apart from the crowd. And that's the very same thing that I practice when I am working to get writing jobs with outlets like Lonely Planet. You know, here's what makes me different from all these other Mm -hmm. people who are doing the same things that I'm doing that hopefully will make you want to consider me for this very coveted role. Mm. Yeah, I've just long believed that our life purpose is, and it's becoming more um, stronger of a belief for me as I get older, the, our purpose is to create and to serve. Yes. So to create something, to build something, to solve problems, to, we are meant, we are creative beings and then to serve others with what we create. And I, I definitely see how, how you're doing that, Angela. It's really inspiring. Well, thank you. It is definitely a work in progress. (laughs) Aren't we all, right? Yes. Um, We conclude um, each of our podcasts by asking our guests um, three questions. Our very first one, Angela, what book are you reading now or podcast are you listening to that's making an impression on you right now? I have been reading um, The Spontaneous Fulfillment of Desire by Deepak Chopra. Mm. And love that title. It, well, and it's a really lovely book. I enjoy his writing style because I think it's very thought provoking, but it also still continues to be somewhat lyrical, which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially about how coincidences in life, whether you believe in them or not, how can you take advantage of them? to continue your goals? How can you benefit from them? How can you maximize these things um, 
that essentially are springing forth of your innermost desires. It's really lovely. Mm -hmm. All right. Our second question, what does your morning routine look like? I shared this with you already, Shelly. I had to break a habit of picking my phone up as soon as Uh the alarm went off and then not putting it down. I would immediately dive into emails and news and all of these overwhelming things. So I created a new rule that I don't allow myself to look at my phone until I've looked at the sky. Yes, you and I share that same rule. I try real hard. I'm not always great at it, but I try. I I don't see you doing that. I know. I'm not (laughs) not good anymore. But now that you've stated it again, you can hold yourself to that intention, right? It's such a good rule. Like just, and, and I'm trying to not keep my phone. We've got a charging station now in our kitchen that on mm-hmm. a good day, I'm like, all right, I'm going to put my phone there. I'm not going to take it, even taking it to the bedroom. Yes. But it's oh, hard. I think that's a lovely habit. So I, I try to do that every morning and I... I always start with a big glass of water and then a glass of tea because I am very much a person that if my brain is dehydrated, it's harder for me to get going. And sometimes just water does the trick. Mm. And then I have a little 15 minute yoga practice that I do through the Gaim website that is really, really wonderful. Ashley Sargent is the instructor and it's called Morning Routine and it's really beautiful. And it helps you set an intention for the day, which I try to come back to, but I don't always remember. And then every morning, the next Mm. morning, I'm thinking, why did I not just tap back into this? (laughs) But I do it every day. And someday I will do that. Um, Yeah. And because I work work from home, I do get myself ready. So I will brush my hair and put on clothes and shoes and everything to be focused on things, which I think is very important. I'm not a pajamas person. Yeah, right. no, I'm, I think a lot of people are struggling with that right now. As I, I <laughs> well, I do have yoga pants on right now. I got out of my pajamas into my yoga pants. Hey, that's a change. That is an outfit. That's a, a something. <laughs> Finally, Angela, what does big self mean to you? Going back to what we discussed earlier, I think it's about understanding that having fears is a normal thing. It's a natural thing. It's a human thing. But big self is checking in with that and acknowledging it, but not letting it hold you back, not letting it become an excuse to prevent you from doing really, really amazing and incredible things. Mm, I like that. That's a good one. Wonderful stuff. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to uh to do this with us Angela. It's been my pleasure. Thank you both. Yeah, you are such a I already knew what a delight you were and then I'm just super inspired from this conversation. Um I've I'm leaving it with excitement to you know for the next 30 minutes. I just kind of want to sit with this and think about what you've taught us for this last hour conversation and you've given us some great resources to think about. I have some, I have some goal setting and planning to do. So I'm thankful. I hope it leads to some wonderful adventures. I think it will. will. You're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, join the community on Facebook at the Big Self Society. You can find us at big underscore self on Twitter. And we are also at the Big Self Society on Medium, where we feature and curate content on topics ranging from psychology to creativity and productivity. We'd love to hear from you. What show made an impact on your thinking, your habits, your decision making? or anything else and anyone you'd like us to reach out to and have on the show let us know